So what we've done is enacted something claimed to open the window or the door, if you will, to something that they actually, I believe, have the authority to provide anyway, and then are now using layers of so-called transparency laws <laughs> as the basis for doing nothing. It's just been a perversion of the whole idea of transparency, as you well know, and your organization's work over the years. Hello all, welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. Off the top there, you heard Joe Ferguson. He's our guest today. Joe Ferguson is the former Inspector General for the City of Chicago. He was a couple years towards the end of Richard M. Daley's term, then two terms under Rahm Emanuel, and then about, I don't know, 60%, 70% of Lori Lightfoot's first term. So we'll be talking to him today about things justice and political it's uh, it's all in there today. Let's say that. Um, if you're listening to the podcast and you're new to it, please hit subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash that subscribe and like buttons. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in getting involved, cjpnation.org. And starting today, ladies and gentlemen, with this podcast episode, you can hear a podcast extra that is only available through our Patreon, where we talked today to Joe Ferguson about uh, specifically the CPD, David Brown, and the firing of Bob Boyk, who ran the Office of Constitutional Policing and Reform, and was basically running the CPD's reform under the consent decree that we are under the federal consent decree. So you can get that at our Patreon. It'll be in the show notes uh, on YouTube and, and on our a link um, to the a link to it will be in the podcast notes. All right. So without much ado, I'm going to get to that conversation and I'll be back with you on the other side. All right, Joe Ferguson, thank you so much for jumping on the pod. We really appreciate it. Happy to be here. All right. We're going to talk about a bunch of things today, ladies and gentlemen, um, because we have the guests with um, just experience. We can't help doing it. And I want them to explain some things to us because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about um, the Inspector General's office, what they do, what they've done, what can be released publicly, the corruption in the city. Um, and I just couldn't help go on a variety of topics. Um, so here's the first one. Can you explain to us what is going on and what is President City Law and what has changed maybe under Lightfoot that stops reports like into the Little Village smokestack demolition and other investigative reports that you guys have done? What um, prevents them from being made public because it certainly seems like we have a city where the, the mayor can basically do whatever she wants unless it seems detrimental to her, then all of a sudden she's barred by city law that she can't do things, even though she can basically have the law changed. So can you explain that for our audience, what's going on there? I can try to explain it for your audience. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, there's there's a... There's a, a history here, um, which the, the current mayor um, inherited and then has sort of taken to a new level. So here's the deal. Municipal Code of Chicago, um, the, the enabling authority for the inspector general does not allow the inspector general's office to release investigative reports. And, you know, you think about that, uh, you think about that in relation to things like grand jury investigations. There's lots of who are subjects of investigations, lots of subject matter that's inquired into. 
if all of that was a public, a matter of, of public knowledge, it would one be impossible to do the investigations, and two, it would put a lot of people who are have who are innocent in sort of a negative light, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, so those reasons. So the IG is not permitted to actually release any reports, and that goes all the way back to the 1989 version of, of the ordinance has been carried forward. Um, early in my time as uh, in, inspector general, we started, and, and what the inspector general's office did was therefore released absolutely nothing. And it was just an investigative office for 20 years. It released absolutely nothing when early in my tenure, I said, well, we should release as much as we can that is not prohibited. And so we started releasing summaries, de-identified, um, and um, that actually got written into the law so it couldn't be undone. And so quarterly reports started to include, you know, substantive information, but still summary de-identified of investigations. Audit reports are released. All audit reports, all evaluations, all reviews are released, just not disciplinary investigations. And um, what, what the city as it received, especially in the realm of, of police inquiries, Tracy, um, when the IG's office began doing those in the early teens, um, start with the Koshman matter. Um, that's Mayor Daly's nephew, um, uh, who eventually would be charged with manslaughter um, for punching somebody in a, a, a bar brawl um, uh, in Chicago. Um, the um, uh, as as the IG's work began to be more known, people started filing FOIA requests for those reports. And the IG's office itself can't release them. My view has always been that only prohibits the IG from releasing them. Those reports get put in the hands of the relevant department heads, the law department, the mayor's office, so on and so forth, because why? They're the final agency actors. They have to make the decision on what to do with, with what mm -hmm. the IG has found and recommend, recommended. And they're actually obligated to act on in one way or the other, say what they're doing with what the IG has um, uh, reported out to them. There's nothing in the law that prevents them from releasing it once it's a final matter. So as the FOIA requests would come in, they found another reason why they can't and that's the claim is we can't and that was state FOIA law which has an exemption um, for um, uh, matters reports of matters of the executive inspector general for the state because that has to go through a process in which the state ethics board has to approve the release of the matter and so on and so forth it has absolutely positively no application to the city ig but the city began to invoke that as a reason why they could not produce it. It's like, it's analogous. We can't produce it. No one's ever challenged that. It's way past due time for someone to challenge it. But that's it. So they say, we can't do it by law. Early in Lightfoot's term, um, she passed this ordinance in October of 2019, which was, you know, was touted by um, uh, her people as this great transparency um, advance that authorized the, the Corporation Council, effectively the mayor, to release IG investigative reports in matters that either one, involved a death, or two, 
implicated a felony and was a matter of high public interest. And mm. death is death. It's the implicated a felony and is a matter of high public interest. Well, who decides that? And are there any standards? The answer is um, the mayor and the corporation council decide that. Um, and there are no standards that are specified. And even if it meets those criteria, it's left to their discretion. So what we've done is enacted something claimed to open the window or the door, if you will, to something that they actually, I believe, have the authority to provide anyway, and then are now using layers of so-called transparency laws <laughs> as the basis for doing nothing. It's just been a perversion of the whole idea of transparency, as you well know in your organization's work over the years. Um, FOIA is not freedom of information. Um, uh, it's freedom to obscure information um, from the public, and there we are. We are currently involved in three lawsuits, one here in D.C., two in Chicago, and we are filing about five or six more and related to Maryland going after gang affiliation data. I know people think Chicago is really bad with FOIA. In D.C. here, the Maryland Police Department said it's going to take us over the eight hours required to uh, just see if we have records related to your FOIA, so we're just going to outright deny it. Yeah, this right? is, there's, a whole, there's a whole culture of denial of, of around FOIA in addition to the, the, the you know, the questionable utilization of exemptions. Mm -hmm. Exemptions are then claimed to be prohibitions, and then you've got to litigate until the cows come home. Um, FOIA at every level of our society, at every level of government in the United States really needs a hard reset. It does. Um, I will say one cultural difference between D.C., in Chicago is the judges here, at least the judge we have, is not fooling around. We filed late last year or early this year, and we have a trial date set for September. Well, and hell or hide water, she's going to hit it. And I think like, she just wants the case off her. Right? I'm going to force you both to find a way to settle, right? Because this is it. We're making that trial date. So that's different. Um, but yes, it definitely needs a, a reset. Unless you have the resources and the time, FOIA is almost impossible. Right, because yep. it takes three years. It took three and a half years for the city, and I'm going to break a little bit of news here because I've never told anyone this, but it took three and a half years for the CPD to tell us that they did not do any analysis to support Rom's thousand person hire. Hmm. They told the court, here it is, they turn it over in discovery. No, it's not. Oh, it's in this report, but you can't have it. The judge looked at the report a year later. No, it's not in there. You lied again. Oh, okay, a year later, they say, oh, we never did it. So that's very similar to some to an issue that's going on right now with respect to CPD around staffing analysis. Yep. Oh my God! I FOIA'd a document they gave me in discovery, accidentally I think, and they said, "Oh no, it doesn't. Nothing. None of these types of documents exist. You already gave it to me." But I'm not going to go down that path because we're going to get that late into that later. So I want to read my audience some names. I know Joe is going to know all these names: Munoz, Daly, Thompson. Danny Solis, Willie Cochran, Sandy Jackson, Ike Carruthers, Arenda Troutman, and now um, Mr. Burke, Alderman Burke, who's got many charges and facing a pretty decent sentence in federal prison. These are all aldermen that have been convicted of crimes in one way or another. Why? Or, or indicted, right, with Burke. Why is political corruption so ingrained in city government and especially in the city council? without us spending an hour on the topic. I just wanted to get your opinion. 
Yeah, so um, it's it's absolutely in our culture, and 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 responsibility for that. I think um, it, it's an existential question, and but it actually involves all of us. Um, let's take it at the broadest level. Everyone decries corruption uh, in their public officials, um, but Chicago loves its narrative of corruption. And we're we're absolutely in love with that. It's what distinguishes us, right? Um, and it's what we're known for, and we everybody likes to be known. So, you know, it's it's part of our cultural DNA at that level. Our narrative and narrative's really important. The stories that we tell, but then operationally, um, uh, it. it, it, it I answer this question differently every time it's asked over the years. So I'm just going to give you what's coming to my head right now. Is um, you named aldermen. You didn't name executive level officials. You named aldermen. You can name a whole bunch of state legislators. But let's focus on the city and aldermen. Um, it's uh, we have too many aldermen. We have too many aldermen that actually do not have jobs that require them to do what it is that most of us would think legislators are supposed to do, which is legislate. Their jobs um, don't involve much legislating. The council isn't structured to truly be a legislative body. What is it that they do? That goes to the mini mayor, one big mayor, 50 mini mayors, and they're involved in sort of the interstices of regulatory and licensing processes. And in a city that um, uh, historically has had way more complicated and complex processes, you need people to navigate them. And yet, and we set up a system that really is rooted in our sort of patronage political machine culture, which is. And the local guy is going to decide whether you get what you want to get. Um, and all of that sort of leads to very many things steered towards alders who don't do much legislating. And so this is what they do. Um, I, 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 the, the work that I'm doing right now is really a, an examination of the overall structure of the city of Chicago and why it ties to its chronic ills. And one of those ills is corruption. And um, the work, the power, the responsibilities, um, the learned helplessness of the city council, all sort of, and the complexity of city processes, all sort of steered to this place where we just keep going back to that one place. We need to elect better alders, but to elect better alders, it needs to be a better position. To be a better position, there needs to be fewer of them and it needs to be structured to actually do the work of what legislators do. And in the meantime, we're gonna continue to get this sort of stuff. Yeah, I've always, the, even when they try to legislate, like they don't have the resources, they don't have the staff that really dig into multiple subjects at multiple times if there's big ordinances coming up, right? And their, their, their office is structured as such is to mostly have their staff, you know, working on the maintenance of the ward and listening yeah. to constituent problems, which... Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and your, 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 your reference to their, they, they don't have the resources, well... They actually do have the resources to do um, uh, some meaningful legislating. 
one of the last audits released during my tenure as IG last September or October was um, the first audit done of operations of the city council and specifically the expenditures of its committees. Oh, and one, one of the highlights there, uh, aside from the fact of noting that many of the committees actually don't meet and do much work, um, and everybody should understand committee chairs in these are legislative committees. The chairs of those committees are essentially appointed by the mayor when those committees meet, essentially decided by the mayor's people. What's on the agenda, largely decided by the mayor. And then you ask, well, then what's the point of having them at all? It's it's the Truman Show. It's a Potemkin village. Um, yeah, it's um, but one of the takeaways was that. Um, uh, that many of the committees um, that seldom met actually had resources and staff assigned to them, which simply got shunted off to constituent services in their wards, which is a violation of both the municipal code and state law. Um, we argued over whether it was, but there's nobody to enforce it. Yeah, I've always... I've always viewed that as one of the dark parts of government. Like, what do these what do these committees do? Who do you talk to? Um, okay, why do separate like these independent departments of government, like CPS or the Park District, yeah. um, why do they have IG offices? And I'm bringing this up specifically. It's in my head because I interviewed Dan Milahopoulos not too long ago, and I think something that got overshadowed by all the horribleness of his reporting. I mean, his reporting was great, but what he uncovered there was yeah. the fact that the investigator got fired and then the head of the office, the inspector general, and then the head of the office got pushed out. Yeah. Like, why do these departments in 2022 have their separate own IG and why isn't it in your old office that should be, to a large extent, insulated from that kind of, like, um, corruption you know, by their boards or, but yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, again, a step back um, for everybody. So you're referring to these different departments. They're actually separate governmental bodies. Um, and that is the, that's the core reason why they have, that's around why structurally they have separate IGs, although that's not necessarily the outcome, but they have separate taxing authority, bonding authority. Um, but in point of fact, and I've done this many times over the years, I ask people to picture everything that they think of as what the government of the city of Chicago provides them in terms of the solar system. Picture the solar system. Um, uh, whether you make um, the core of city, um, the corporation uh, that is the city of Chicago, um, the earth or Jupiter, I don't know, it's your call. But there's all these other bodies the Chicago Housing Authority is a separate government agency altogether. The um, Chicago Public Schools, a separate government agency altogether. The CTA, the Transit Authority, and so on and so forth. These are separate governmental bodies. So they're all planets. Picture them as the other planets in the solar system. And they're all circling the sun, operating independently, but under the gravitational pull of the sun. The mayor is the sun. The mayor decides who the leaders are of those organizations. But here's the thing. If anything, if ever anything goes wrong, the mayor says, separate body of government beyond my control. If anything goes right, the mayor says, that's me. Um, <laughs> and um, so what we have 
is um, uh, and each one of those planets has a little moon circling it. That's the uh, oversight. That's the IG, right? And um, the IGs can coordinate at some level, but maybe not as much as one would hope. But the practical practical matter is, is they all do their jobs separately. So what you have is balkanized oversight with unified um, uh, sort of gravitational authority. And what you're raising is something that Mayor Lightfoot raised as a candidate and raised early in her term. There needs to be a unification, not necessarily across the board. CPS is a massive governmental agency, maybe merits its own IG, but it needs to be unified. And that's a conversation we've been having in Chicago, uh, you know, in the policy wonk realm since since 2005, when David Hoffman first raised it, say, hey, we ought to do this the way New York does it, um, which is you have all of these IGs, but they operate within one unified larger office. That realizes both efficiencies, it makes the best use of institutional knowledge that's gleaned across all of these really connected realms, and it makes oversight consonant with the power of the chief executive. Um, but the rationale has long been, oh, no, no, these are separate government agencies, and so it needs to be done separately. Lightfoot, as a candidate, said, no, we don't need to do that. She was right, and then did the absolute opposite. And when you talk about Dan Mihalopoulos and the Park District, um, Mayor Lightfoot defended that IG until Dan pulled that one extra thread and the whole thing fell apart. Well, that was my next question. Um, Obviously, I'm in D.C., but I was sitting and wondering when the hell the city council and the mayor were going to step up when Dan's reporting hit the news. Um, and they weren't. They weren't until um, and I, you know, this is a little bit inside baseball, but also public public information. After Dan put out report after report after report that showed not only this awful sexual abuse and hostile work environment that existed in the lifeguard operation of the park district, but also things that indicated that this was known to senior level officials who did not <clears throat> go after it. Um, and the whole investigation was, was creeping along, being slow rolled um, largely in obscured ways. And after report after report, and it's great work that he did, um, uh, Scott Wagesback, Alderman, Finance Committee Chair under this mayor, previously sort of the, the, the voice of the conscience of the, of the council, if you will. Um, not sure how much that applies anymore um, now that he's in leadership, but um, he's pretty much of a straight shooter. Um, he said, hey, enough of this. Can we have the city IG actually step in and help? Um, because they know how to do this and they got the resources to do it. Um, the mayor said, no, immediately rejected that notion. And that was the end of it. Um, <clears throat> and then what happened is the simple fact of having raised the possible use of the city IG resulted in people coming to the city IG. It was the city IG, I'm speaking almost in the third person, and I <laughs> it was me, made a criminal referral to the state's attorney's office. And that was the beginning of the end of it all. Um, people started to get charged. There had to be acknowledgement that this was not being handled well within. There had to be acknowledgement that leadership 
was implicated in the slow rolling of all of this. Um, but, you know, Scott Wagaspak raised it um, and that resulted in people re publicly responding, um, bringing information to a place where actually it would get acted on. Um, but that was after a year and a half of investigating. And yes, it needs to be prosecuted. But I also I also think there's got to be and these, especially in this circumstance, like we almost need a truth commission. What the hell happened? Who knew when they knew? And let's get every as far as we can without interfering with the prosecution. Let's get everything out. Because like I've interviewed Alderman Wagaspak on this show for this reason. And he talked about hearing from Avis Davelli, who was the chair of the board in a meeting. And she turned to him and said, this is all just sour grapes from women. You know, sour grapes the next day. And this is all consensual. And it, that thinking of that just blows my head off. And so so there is no there is no body to do that, and this goes back to the larger structure that the, that was the last question. Um, and I see there's a logical progression to your questions here, Tracy. Um, <clears throat> the city council, you know, I, Scott, I I think Scott, with every fiber of his being, wanted to force a hearing in the city council um, to bring these officials in. And to do exactly what you were doing, what you were suggesting, sort of a truth and reconciliation, or at least an explanation of what's going on under real, from with questions from people who really were going to dig in, right? The city council does not have the power to subpoena people, compel them to appear, put them under oath, conduct investigations itself. In New York City, the city council has all of that. And so they can't do it and even if they could do it it's still the case that so much of the city council really operates kind of under this long decades long acculturated learned helplessness in which they look to the mayor for what they can and can't do the signals of what they should and shouldn't do um and that all needs to change but there is no place to go for this it requires folks like dan mihalopoulos and folks like you and your operation with FOIA requests to pull threads and pull threads and pull threads, um, especially in a world in which IGs are compartmentalized. Yeah, and when we're in a world where in 2020, 21, and 22, we have women coming out saying this is happening and no one's responding. Oh, it's a Me Too world, things have changed nothing's changed in Chicago. Nothing's changed. Right? I'm not an independent person. I'm an advocate. Nothing has changed. And that's disgusting. Yeah. And I find what most of the city council did and Lightfoot slow rolling it and all the park districts board slow rolling that stuff as just disgusting. And I, we need a law also, because now I'm going to get on my rant. We need a law. You slow rolled it. Other people got assaulted. Yep. Past your slow rolling. You're responsible for that. Yep. Take some goddamn responsibility. It just it infuriates me that they could just hear that and say, oh, like, okay, we won't do anything. Um, the, the, the executive director, whatever they call him, I know his last name is Kelly. Mark Kelly? Uh, Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly. Um, knew before. Dan eventually realized he knew months before that he originally knew. It's just the whole thing is disgusting. But I'm going to move on to it. Um, so what do you make, I'm going to point now to a BGA article that just recently came out about, about the, um, and we're going to turn more towards criminal justice here, but um, the BGA reported that the city's anti-violence efforts seem, seem majorly overblown. Yeah. And they have someone overall, uh, overseeing that who also seemed to overblow the city's effort to distribute vaccines efficiently. 
Yeah. Um, and then her resume seemed to be all over puffery and overblown about what she'd actually taken part in. And it's so it's so typical Chicago that you would swear this happened under Daly. This was a 1995 thing and not a 2020 thing. What are your thoughts uh, viewing it from where you have about the city's anti-violence efforts? So um, uh, one quick step back. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of city positions, the so-called Shackman exempt positions that don't have job descriptions, don't have um, uh, core requirements, minimum minimum qualifications. Um, and so people get hired um, uh, without there being clear definition as to what the position professionally needs. Beyond that, there isn't vetting that's done for a lot of those positions, those discretionary positions. There's not good vetting done of people um, in senior level positions. And so you end up with these situations. Um, um, it's not like it's common, but it's more common than you would like for it to be for sure. One, two, the violence reduction um, realm generally. Um, this, it's, it's heartbreaking what we've been doing in that realm because this is another area where we have, we, the city, the, the government of the city of Chicago has slow rolled responsiveness to this area of innovation um, and this area of thoroughgoing academic research. And uh, honestly, th there, there's some meaningful money and resources devoted in that, in that direction, but none of it done with the requisite expertise to take any one component of it to scale so that we actually could say this works versus that, right? Um, we have a smattering of these things. We package them all together into a larger office and market the crap out of it um, as innovation. <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> and, um, and to your earlier point, um, lives are lived and lost in the meantime. Um, and this is the sort of thing that should lead people in outrage to vote the bums out. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a busy static filled world out there and not people don't have the bandwidth to pay attention to enough of this stuff, but this really hurts because what we're talking about is an investigative report that raises questions of legitimacy around innovative programming that isn't even out of the gate yet. And there is this sort of hovering cloud of misrepresentation, clouded interests, fraudulent pretenses, false reporting. It's hard enough to do this work straight up without all of those things to be overcome as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I would say that, first of all, I agree with all that, but I would also say like, if you're going to do something that's going to take three or five years to have a, have a impact, which for some, some of the long-term anti-violence stuff or turning a community around, it is not going to happen overnight. Right. Then you've got to tell people that. But doing things that may take three or five years to build trust and everything, but then coming out and saying, we're having an immediate impact right now because crime just happened to go down, luckily, or by coincidence, is just dishonesty. But that's, 
to me, that's nothing new of what's going on now that went under Rom, that went under Daly. This is it the happens, same stuff. It happens with a lot of economic development in community yep. and it's, uh, for years. And so, you know, um, uh, some months ago, the Whole Foods um, in oh, April yeah. closed down, mm -hmm. right? And that came at that five to seven year mark range when you actually determine whether or not um, economic development investments in community are going to get the traction that they need to be self-sustaining. But we declare victory in a press conference at the outset and move on. And almost inevitably, five years later, you sort of see the real outcome, but everyone's moved on to other stuff. It's the same thing in this realm. Be honest about it now. Now, it's a very un-American thing to say, to acknowledge, you know what? Failure is ultimately a part of the greater success. Mm -hmm. We're going to try some things. This is what we're here to do because no other part of our society, no other institutional component is going to take these problems on. We have to take them on. We're going to give it our best guess and shot. Some of these things will work. Some of them won't work. And the ones that do work are going to take time. And you're absolutely right. Be square with people. And, 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 and report, do your milestone reports on that basis. And if, the, if, if, if that understanding about what this, is a, what this is all about and what will, it will require is done accurately at the outset, you have no need to sell it as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right. And the opportune political moment to do that is when you're brand new in the mayorship and you're coming right in. Every day that goes by, it gets harder and harder to do that. Yep. And I, I fear we have passed that in the Lightfoot oh, term and in the Lightfoot time. Oh my goodness! Hey, you know, there's a, there's an there's an old saying for uh, there was an old saying in the city for new department heads when they came in, new commissioners, um, and and as and and the inspector general's office in approaching departments to do audits. Um, say, look, we're going to look at this. Is there anything you would particularly like us looking at? Because we know you don't have internal audit functions. But the general, the general, um, the general rule is <laughs> get it cleaned up at the front end. Um, and if there's some help in identifying, you know, the landmines that exist, do it at the front end, because in six to nine months, it's you, it's yours, you own it. Right. Right. And you can always point backwards in the beginning. It's like their fault. I came in. We found it. It's going to be cleaned up. Yep. But now three years, you own the city. You yep. own it all. OK. Yep. Um, and this this actually goes right into our next topic. Can I have forever had an issue with TIFFs? I've never understood why we need to fund things outside the normal budgetary process. Right. Oh, we can fund this. There's just something online on Twitter about should we fund an extension of the red line going south with TIF money from the South Loop or something like that. And I'm like, well, why do we need a TIF? Like, can't we just fund things normally through the budgetary process? TIFs seem to me a very Chicago thing in that it's giving ultimate control over those dollars to the mayor or a small team of people that are outside the budgetary process and outside the democratic process that we theoretically have. I wanted to get your view on that. Ultimately, that's how it operates here. Um, uh, uh, 
longtime journalist um, and gadfly, um, Ben Jarowski, yep. has been writing about TIFFs for 20 years. Um, and it's probably taken 10 years off of his life trying to get people to listen. Um, and so look, the, the, the core concept, and it's not just Chicago that, that has these tax increment financing um, programs, but the idea is the idea is that you utilize, you, you attract development to a particular area by freezing the assessed value of what you're going to take in property taxes and everything over that value, which is really the benefit of the investment, um, gets fed fed to sort of further reinvestment and, and support investment in community. In broad concept, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's supposed to be for blighted areas, places where, but for this sort of mechanism, there simply won't be an influx of private development, right? And so this is a way of, 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 of adding to the mix what the city is supposed to do with those, with those additional tax funds generated over time is pay for the infrastructure needed for the development, which then further encourages private developers to invest in even more. And then we have jobs being built within community and so on and so forth. This, this latest episode of a creative TIF for the Red Line extension is taking money from one part of the city to be applied to another part of the city and blowing up the concept. I, I, I think one of the things that actually, um, uh, when all is said and done, we might thank the Lightfoot administration for, is taking a number of mechanisms that are the way Chicago works, one step too far, <laughs> and basically killing the golden goose. With TIFF, this red line extension um, proposal, and, and we need a red line extension. Um, it's the south side, and it's the place where there is starved public transportation that makes it hard black and brown communities to actually have full access to all of the economic opportunities that exist in the city, including jobs. Um, it's needed, um, but to have taken TIF um, and applied it in this way breaks TIF um, in the same fashion that I, I, I think in some measure um, this mayor has kind of broken the golden goose that is a, an, a compliant city council. Um, she has pissed everybody off to the degree where they roar all the time. Now, when push comes to shove, mostly they give her what she wants, but she's come pretty close to breaking what is decades of just plain acquiescence and learned helplessness. Yeah, and just like... Just be nice and you'll get reelected. You can even have a side job and not do much. We'll tell you how to vote. Yeah. Um, and for those people who don't know how the city works, when the police board reform passed, we we are in a office in the corp council's office with Fioretti, Alderman Fioretti, uh, the corp council, um, and some of Rom's people. And when we got done negotiating it out, this little uh, guy from the intergovernmental affairs that goes, "Okay, it'll pass." public safety to, uh, next Wednesday and the Wednesday after it'll pass city council. I'm like, wow, there's no, there's no alderman in this no. room. And they're like, oh, that's how it works. And they, they just laughed. 
and, so. that, and, that, and that's 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 what I was referring to before. Is the chairs are decided by the mayor. The council doesn't have to acquiesce in it, but it does. The chairs uh, take their instruction from intergovernmental affairs, which is the office of the mayor, on when to meet, what the agenda is, who the witnesses are going to be, and what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy when you get on the inside and you're like, wow, we went to testify at that last final city council meeting, or the, no, the committee meeting, and they were looking at us like, what are all all of the all the men in attendance at the committee were looking at us like, what are you nuts? We all know this is done. What are you testifying for? It, I was the last one to testify before I got back into the audience part of city council. It had already passed. So, and, and, and there is some, there is some, you know, for students of, of, of government, um, there's some, there's some consequences to that besides simply who holds the power. And that is, is that, there seldom is a meaningful legislative record that is developed for any piece of legislation. And so everything moves forward and you don't have an underlying basis for saying, well, this, these were the objectives for which this program was voted on and passed and being implemented, which means the people implementing the program uh, in the departments don't know often exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Beyond that, when it when there is a dispute um, about the law and its application, there is no place to go to say this was intended versus that, because there is no legislative history that really is developed um, because of situations like what you just described. And people who don't know from the inside, it was at an open government meeting with all these people, all these open government people, they all loved Ron because he had that the data portal website, they're all in love with them. And David Kidwell was the speaker and he was talking. They're like, don't you love the portal? And Kidwell's, I don't take the, I don't look in the junk drawer for anything. I only want stuff they're crying when they give it to us. And I had, right. And I had to tell them like, guys, you don't understand. I passed this ordinance got passed. There isn't a damn thing in your open data. That's going to say anything about how that process went on. And David Kidwell's, yeah, I want that meeting. I'm like, I know. Okay. All right, we are back. I want to thank again Joe Ferguson for jumping on the pod with us. A fascinating discussion. Obviously, Mayor Lori Lightfoot wants to control the politics around the release of those reports. The investigative reports from the Inspector General's office, all of those should be public. It's obscene that they are not. It's basically new boss, the same as the old bosses. Isn't anything different than Rahm Emanuel or Richard Daly would do. So why did we, why did people vote for her? To get all this change that never happened. Um, yeah, pretty much a massive disappointment, right? And all the BS that is going on with the anti-violence program and selling it and all the promises they said about all the progress they made and all and impacted violence over the summer, which I am pretty sure they've probably had little to no um, impact on whatsoever. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we have doing the podcast extras available on our Patreon to supporters. Any amount of a monthly donation gets you access to that. Also, you'll find behind-the-scenes videos related to our litigation, our litigation strategy, our FOIA strategy, uh, the nation, what they're working on, all kinds of things. It's all available to support us on our Patreon. Once again, today's discussion with Joe Ferguson. In the extra, we talk specifically about the CPD, uh, his feelings on Superintendent David Brown, and the firing of Bob Boyk, who runs the office, or used to run the office for... Uh, the, the Office of Constitutional Policing and Reform. 
And one last note, I know I've talked about it a couple times on this podcast. There's a documentary called Cash for Kids about a scandal involving two judges in Pennsylvania who um, got money related to the shutting down and building of new juvenile detention facilities. And one of them specifically just jail kids for anything. I mean, truancy, late to school. I mean, just the most minor stuff, getting caught smoking at school and you got incarcerated. Well, if you look at the New York Times and other papers, you will see that those two judges just finished the lawsuit and that I, that lawsuit just ended and my dog is chiming in here. And they are now liable for something around 150 to $200 million. It's really unbelievable how much they'll actually pay, who knows, but they will most likely end up broke. One judge is out, he got let out early for COVID. The one judge who threw everyone and un- anyone in jail, anyone he possibly could. And I'm not sure if it was because he got paid off or just because he was an extreme right winger. Um, he's got till 2035 to sit in jail, think about it. But in the meantime, they're gonna take apart whatever assets he has left. And it's many of his victims committed, I mean many, but several to many committed suicide. You've been incarcerated for no reason, horrible. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully you check out the podcast extra on our Patreon. Thank you.